Good morning. If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, as you're turning there, I have been out for the last couple of weeks filling in a few different churches. Uh, sometimes a couple of weeks of being gone feels like a, a long time. It really does. And, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't see how you, I mean, if, if you're one of those that make it to church once every six weeks, I don't see how you do it. Uh, it uh, I miss being here. And, uh, but I also enjoy traveling and seeing other congregations. But I, um, I started several, several, I guess maybe a couple months ago, I started uh, preaching on taking a stand, uh, which is something that uh, the more time that goes by, the more I realize just the importance of a, a topic like this. Um, and the generations that we're living in, it just seems that holiness is not much of a goal for people, especially young people. Um, to walk in godliness. Um, it seems like we are falling further and further and further away from the standard that God has given us on what we should look like, what we should act like, what we should talk like. And um, the troubling part of that is I don't think the majority realize that we have fallen from that. Amen. I think uh, there are a lot of people who um, are, and, and, I, and I am this way at times myself, I guess you could say it this way, that are, that are blind to the sin that they have in their own life. And that's just a, uh, that's a side effect of having a corrupt, fallen nature, uh, that we have a tendency to not be able to see uh, the sin in our own lives, and that also we can grow very callous to it very quickly until, to the point where we can be praising God in uh, you know, uh, one minute and doing things and saying things uh, the next minute that he completely hates and never realize it. Uh, the Bible speaks about a conscience being seared with a hot iron. Uh, the Bible speaks about hard hearts. And I think uh, especially in the younger generations um, that we are rapidly approaching the time where you're either going to have to take a stand or be swept away by the world, uh, one of the two. And so in order to talk about taking a stand, we have been looking at Elijah, and I will not go back and, and review everything we've talked about, so you'll have to go back and listen to some of the sermons um, that, we, uh, that have been included in this uh, series of messages on taking a stand. We have seen that the Lord uh, has dealt with Elijah in some of his experiences that, uh, in a special way that prepared Elijah for the moments that he was going to be taking a stand. And afterwards, uh, we have seen the great uh, competition that we called it, where Elijah stands before Ahab and all the prophets of Baal, and uh, they have the great contest. And when we left last time, we, we ended with the great contest being over. Now, one of the things that I try to do as I read through the Bible that has helped me so much um, just bring these things to life is I just put myself in the shoes of a particular person that, that I may be reading about and just asking myself what would I be thinking what would I be feeling uh, what would you know what would how would I be handling this and it it really brings to life because sometimes you you know you look at some of these prophets of the Bible and you might you might say well they're just so much different than I am and this that and the other but they have the same nature that we have they would have the same tendency to think some of the things that we would think or feel some of the things that we would feel. 
And I encourage you to do that. If you're reading about Elijah or Moses or, you know, and, and, and the Lord's speaking with them, ask yourself, how would I react to that? How, or how would I feel after this particular situation happened? And if you do that with Elijah, if you remember where we left off, uh, where the Lord has, um, they, the, uh, Elijah challenged Ahab and his prophets, and they built two altars, and uh, they said, let's call on the name of the Lord, and uh, you call on the name of your God, which was Baal, I'll call the name of my, my God, and whichever one comes down and consumes the altar, we'll just let that be God. Let's just leave it like that, and they say, okay, they've gathered all of Israel together, and at the end of that, you know, the, the prophets of Baal call out to Baal and nothing happens. Elijah calls out to the Lord and he consumes a wet, dripping, water-soaked altar and it licks up all the water. And then immediately after that, um, he commands them to take all the prophets of Baal, which were hundreds, and take them and slay them. Okay, so that's where we leave off. Oh, that's where we left off. So we're picking up right there. Now... Think about this for a second. If you're Elijah and you are in that situation and you have just seen the Lord do something miraculous, you have seen a nation, the nation of Israel, watch this competition. And, and listen, this was no, this was no, you know, I'm not sure who won, who won that. You ever watch a boxing match and nobody knocks the other person out? And at the end of the boxing match, they, they, you know, it's a winner by decision where the judges just say, well, based on their technique and how many punches they landed and all this kind of stuff, we're going to declare this guy the winner. This was not one of those situations. There was a very clear, decisive winner Amen. in this competition. And all of Israel sees it. And Israel says, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is the God. Now, so Elijah, we've got Ahab standing here and Elijah standing here. Ahab has lost the competition. His prophets have been slain. And Elijah says something to Ahab that in verse 41, he says, And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Now you also remember that they have been in a drought for three and a half years and they're suffering terribly. And when it says, and, you know, and this is a little bit of, uh, you know, um, I guess I'm uh, being a little presumptuous maybe, but when it says, and Elijah said unto Ahab, get thee up, I, I picture Ahab maybe down on his knees. I mean, where would you be? Right? If, if, if you have lost this contest, you've seen a miraculous uh, um, uh, display from the Lord, and you've had all your prophets killed, even if you're a king, where would you be? I, I picture him on his knees. And Elijah goes to the king, and one thing you didn't do to a king is you did not give the king a commandment, right? The king is the one that deals out the commandments, but the tables have turned. And Elijah says unto Ahab, he begins to command him. He says, get thee up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of an abundance of rain. Now, there's a lot, of, lot in that. And the main thing I want to get out of that, that it's not really my topic, is never forget that God is a merciful God. Not only has he sent fire to refresh and renew the spiritual, uh, spiritual man of Israel, he's about to bring water from heaven 
to restore just the, just the humanity side of things. The natural man, he is bringing rain back to a land. Israel has seen fire fall from heaven, and now they're about to see water fall from heaven, which they desperately needed. You see, when God's people repent, good things happen. And so he tells Ahab to get up. You need to eat and you need to drink. For there's an a sound, for there's a sound of an abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. Now, why do you think he did that? Now, Elijah's got to be on the, the most, the highest of the highest when it comes to just spiritual mountains after what he has experienced. And he goes up to Mount Carmel, and he falls down, and he puts his face between his knees. Now, this is where I go, like, why, why would I do that? And my first thought, I would do that because I'm exhausted. You think he's been up all day, this long display. And listen, when it came time to, to, uh, to slay all of these prophets, that's kind of, that's kind of a, an undertaking. That's a big deal. There's been a lot that has happened here. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of the groves, that is a lot, that's a big undertaking. When God says, take those prophets and slay them, Elijah's been witness to that. Maybe Elijah helped in some of that, I don't know. But he's got to be exhausted. But also think on the, other, on the flip side of that, I think Elijah is at the peak of a spiritual mountain, and I think he's just about to roll off the edge of it. And I think fear is just starting to grow in his mind a little bit. And one of the things that ought to give us caution is that when you see people have great mountaintop experiences with the Lord, the things that follow after that usually are not very pretty. And so Elijah is about to experience that. And so... Elijah goes up to Mount Carmel and he goes to his, uh, he falls to the earth and he puts his face between his knees. Now, I still think Elijah's faith is very strong at this point because he says to his servant, he says, go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. Now, again, what do you do if you're Elijah? This is what I do. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I have just caused quite the uproar in the kingdom of Ahab. And my mind is probably going 90 to nothing. And I send my servant to go look because I've already told Ahab that there's not going to be any rain until I give the word for it to rain. And then he tells Ahab it's about to rain. And then he sends his servant to go look. And when his servant comes back and says there is nothing, I would have been like, really? I totally expected you to say there's a big, dark, lightning-filled cloud headed our way. But his faith is strong, and he says, he says, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. Now, I would have, been, I would have taken a deep breath right there like, thank you. Seven times. Remember, uh, Naaman the leper dipped seven times in the Jordan 
And remember, I preached a sermon one time about that, and I kind of acted out seven times of him going down and coming back up. Seven times of a servant going and looking and coming back. There's some time that has passed. And when he comes back, he says, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And Elijah, he's full of faith. He says, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in, in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, in verse 46, I think it's interesting. <clears throat> the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he ran before Ahab. And he beats Ahab to the entrance of the city. In my mind, I think the Lord, just in some kind of special way, he just put a special strength on Elijah to get down that mount, even though he was on foot and the chariot was not. And he's at the entrance of Jezreel. Now, picture this. Elijah has done these things. Uh, the Lord has made a miraculous display. All of Israel has seen it. Israel has repented. Israel has acknowledged that Baal is a false god and that the Lord is the one true God. Ahab is now receiving commandments from Elijah. Now, if I were Elijah, I would think, okay, we've taken a step in the right direction. We need to start <clears throat> getting together. We need to get this, you know, people back to following God's law. And if I were one of the Israelites, I would be looking to Elijah for some direction. I would say, look, this deal that Ahab has given us and, and the, the setup that we have under him with we've got to do all this Baal worship and stuff like that. Yeah, we've kind of uh, gotten used to that and that's what we're doing. But we realize now that is false. We don't need Ahab. We need Elijah. You would think that Elijah would have tons of support. You would think people would be flocking to him for answers. You think he might become a leader for them for a, a season or for a little while there to get them back on the right track. But you don't see that. <clears throat> now, Elijah's at the tip of that mountain and he's just maybe started to roll over it and he is fixing to plummet quickly. And this, this conversation that Ahab has with his wife Jezebel is very interesting. It says in Ahab in verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 1, it says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Well, let's just stop right there. Elijah hasn't done these things. Elijah's been very specific in verse 18 that you need to understand that the only way I'm doing this is by the hand of the Lord. Elijah credits the Lord. At no point does Elijah say, I'm doing this. He says, I am a servant of the Lord, and through me, the Lord is doing these things to show his people that they need to turn back to him, and he is the only true living God. Amen. But when Ahab goes to Jezebel, that's not what he tells her. Now look, young people especially, when you go take a stand, you can expect there are going to be people who maybe don't have the courage to rebuke you, to stand up against you, to mock you, but they'll do it secretly and go stir up others to bring a wave against you. Don't miss that. 
If you take a stand for the Lord, you can expect Ahab's and Jezebel's to come out of the woodwork after you. And that's what happens. Ahab, who's a coward, who has, who has seen firsthand what the Lord has done, who has watched Elijah um, operate through that whole thing, he goes to Jezebel and he says, let me tell you what Elijah has done. He never mentions the Lord. He says, let me tell you what Elijah did. And let me tell you how he has slain all the prophets with the sword. Notice he doesn't say false prophets. Now, this is what Ahab should have said. Hey, Jezebel, we need to talk. This, this bail deal that we've got going on, let me tell you what I just experienced. Let me tell you about us jumping up and down on our altar and cutting ourselves and crying out to Baal who never answered. But let me tell you what Elijah did. Let me tell you about the altar he built. Let me tell you about the, the barrels of water he put on it. Let me tell you about the very first time he prayed, fire came down and consumed up that altar and licked up all the water out of the trough he, he dug around the altar. Let me tell you about that. Let me tell you how we as, as, and all the people of Israel there, let me tell you how they saw that and they with one accord and in one voice said, the Lord, he is God. Let me tell you about that, Jezebel. That's not what he did because Ahab is weak. He told Jezebel all that Ahab had done and how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah <clears throat> You see, you know, that, that, that probably, you know, I don't get in the business of saying somebody is not a child of God and is, is burning in hell unless the Bible specifically tells me that. But Jezebel doesn't have a whole lot of evidence that she's a child of God, right? Because as, as I read, uh, one writer wrote, the things that enrage the carnal heart towards God ought to convince them. Does that make sense? You see, the things that ought to convince us and conquer our minds and our hearts about the Lord to the carnal heart who has no spirit of God living in him, it just enrages them. You don't believe that? You go find somebody that's not a born-again child of God and you try to teach them some spiritual truths, it will not convince or conquer them. It'll enrage them. And that's where Jezebel is. Jezebel is irate about what Elijah has done. And she sends a messenger to Elijah and says, Let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. Now, Elijah is afraid. Where, what happened to Elijah? Where is the Elijah that stood before Ahab when he was kneeling on the ground and said, get up and go do these things? Where is it? Listen, this Elijah just, just a, maybe hours before, this same Elijah was mocking the prophets of Baal saying maybe he's asleep or maybe he's gone on a journey. What happened to him? And I thought about this verse as I read through that. You know, it says multiple times in the Bible, but the psalmist says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? You think about that. What is man that God would ever be mindful of us? Because one minute 
We're slaying Goliath. The next minute, we're running from King Saul. One minute, we're standing before Ahab, uh, strong and confident and courageous in the Lord. And the next minute, we're tucking our tail between our legs and running because his wife threatened us. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And so he goes to Beersheba. Now, if you study a little bit about that, <clears throat> Beersheba, as the Bible tells us, belonged to the nation of Judah, which Jehoshaphat was the king of and was a pretty good king. This is a place that Elijah should have been safe under the rule of King Jehoshaphat. But he doesn't stop right there. He continues to go on and it says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. This is the same wilderness that the Old Testament describes as a waste howling wilderness. Into the waste howling wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. What happened to Elijah? You talking about when he rolled over the top of that spiritual mountain, he went straight down. So he's suicidal now. He, and listen, he is not calling on the name of the Lord here to take him away in the same way that Paul called on the name of the Lord. When Paul called on the name of the Lord and said, uh, I, you know, I desire to depart and to be with Christ. That's not the same, that's not the same uh, tone that Elijah has. Elijah says, she's after me. She's going to kill me. I'd rather die by the hand of the Lord than die by her. I'm afraid. I'm terrified. I would just assume die. And so he goes and he crawls up under a juniper tree. <clears throat> and he asks the Lord to kill him. And he lays down and goes to sleep. Now, I wonder if Elijah fully expected to never wake up. I wonder if he thought, I'll just never wake up from this. The Lord will answer my prayer. Uh, he's used me to do this great thing. Uh, you know, I don't know what Elijah was thinking. That's what I would have been thinking. If, if, you know, surely the Lord, if I have been this bold for the Lord, surely he'll grant me this. I think it's interesting, too, <clears throat> that I don't think there's a single word in the Bible that's not there on purpose. And it says that he sat down under a juniper tree. And I thought that was interesting. So I read up on the juniper tree a little bit. The juniper tree is a tree that the sap that it puts out, the scent, you know how like a cedar tree has got a certain smell to it. A juniper tree is kind of the same way. And it puts off a, uh, the, the description I read was a noxious, a noxious type smell. And people would use it to keep away serpents. Now think about that. Here is a tree that just the way it is created, there's something about that tree that repels um, you know, venomous serpents. And to me, I thought about that. I was like, what a symbolic picture of the Lord providing and protecting for his children. Because he is under attack from the old serpent, the devil. And what you'll find, and I don't have time to get into the next stage of this, so I'm going to kind of leave it right here. But he's laying under a tree, and what he needs right now is he needs some protection. He's in the desert. And you know, he's not in, he's not in the Holiday Inn. 
He's in the desert. He's exposed. And he crawls up under one of the few places that he can be protected from those elements. And that's what he needs in a spiritual sense. The devil is ripping Elijah to shreds with fear. Because Jezebel, again, what is man? That, I mean, you, you had this great, great display of courage. And now some woman has got you running like a scaredy cat. You don't think the devil's not ripping him to shreds? <clears throat> but you're going to see here that the Lord is going to do something very special for Elijah. Now, I'm going to leave you with this, and we'll go into this the next time I'm here. Do you remember that I talked way back when I first started this, that Elijah, uh, the Lord was dealing with Elijah, and I kind of described it to you as he was you taking his experiences, he was learning from those experiences, and it was like putting tools in a tool bag. Well, now I want you to picture this. Elijah is laying under this juniper tree with his tool bag beside him. And now is the time he's got to pick these tools up and start using them. And you'll find that he really doesn't do a very good job of that. But God loves his people and God is merciful. Now, he fed him. Do you remember the sermon, Remember the Ravens? He's going to do something for Elijah in a similar way, but far exceeds ravens. When Elijah wakes up, Elijah does not see eternal glory. The Lord did not answer his prayer to take him home, but Elijah sees the messengers of God. Elijah sees angels have come to minister to him. Now, this is a man that has tucked his tail and run. And God is so merciful to him. He says, I needed, you to, I needed you to reach into that tool bag. And I need you to pull out the experience you have with the ravens. But Elijah doesn't do it. Elijah starts whining and crying. And so the Lord says, I'll send you something even better than that. Aren't you glad that the Lord is merciful? And aren't you glad that he does not answer our foolish requests sometimes? Because the Lord is not finished with Elijah. And at the end of it all, it's, it's, it, what's interesting, <laughs> he prays for death and the Lord never answers that prayer. Think about that. Elijah's one of two that I can think of in the Bible that never experienced death. Not only am I not going to give you death now, I'm never going to give it to you. And you'll see towards the end that a, a chariot of fire comes down and takes Elijah up having never tasted death. We're foolish. What, what is man? What is man that we think for five seconds we've got a good bead and hold on how things are? Who knows what the Lord has in store for us tomorrow? But young people, this is what I want you to understand from this. When you take a stand, expect the Jezebels of the world to come after you. I mean, they are. Look at, watch the news for five seconds. And see, oh, somebody denied somebody a cake, and it is a nationwide news story. You remember that? That's the Jezebels coming after us because we took a stand against what was wrong. But don't ever forget the same tools Elijah had in his tool bag are the same tools that you've got. And learn from these experiences that Elijah has. So when those Jezebels come, look, I'll give you the end of the story. Dogs ended up eating Jezebel. Elijah went home to heaven in a chariot of fire. He got the better deal. Although he didn't realize any of that when he was under that juniper tree.
So just because you think all is lost, never, ever, ever give up on the Lord's faithfulness.